This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkopf, managing editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, senior reporter at Jezebel. Um, I just want to say for the past six months, I haven't revealed this yet on the show, but I've been waking up every morning at 4 a.m. from anxiety. <laughs> Joanna, that's awful. <laughs> it's fine. It's my life. <laughs> this week, Donald Trump got into yet another feud, and it's such a convoluted feud. I don't even know how to kind of sum it up in this one little quippy sentence. Basically, he's managed to alienate Representative Frederico Wilson from Florida, who said that on a call with the widow of a Green Beret who had been killed. I heard him say, well, I guess, you know, he knew what he was signing up for, but it still hurts. And I couldn't believe that he said that. And now Donald Trump is calling the congresswoman fake news because a person can be fake news. Um, I've just been trying to imagine the trauma of losing a loved one and having that compounded by then having to talk to Donald Trump on the phone. And can you imagine that, like, him being the person comforting you? I personally <laughs> cannot. I mean, not only do I just, like, loathe Donald Trump, but he also has so little empathy like he has a sociopathic level of empathy it's like even if i even if i was open to it i don't know how it would feel so this week on big time dicks we are interviewing masha aliokina from pussy riot about her new book riot days and her time in prison after the punk prayer protest in moscow in 2012 and when you find inside yourself this possibility of saying no you just do it. But first, our week in weenies. Our first weenie of the week is a new one. I would like to welcome Georgia State Rep Betty Price to our esteemed list of weenies. I always love to add women to our weenie list because we're Jezebel and we're a feminist website and women should be equal as men in every category. Women can be dicks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and also, side side note. She's also the wife of former Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price. Just a fun little fact. So Betty Price last week said that patients with HIV um, should be quarantined. What are we legally able to do? And I don't want to say the quarantine word, but I guess I just said it. I mean, is, is there an ability since I would guess that public dollars are, are expended heavily in prophylaxis and treatment uh, of this condition. So we have a public interest in curtailing the spread. Betty Price, by the way, is a doctor. She is a doctor with a medical degree, and she is an elected official. So she is literally the two professions that are most qualified to make public health policy decisions and 
what she comes up with is the idea of a quarantine, something that was popular in the Middle Ages and amongst like genocidal dictators. I think what we've learned from the prices is that hate trumps any sort of medical education. Like you could go to med school and you can work really hard and like really do a, an academic degree that is much harder than any of us will attempt. But then if you hate so much and are so stupid, like you can easily forget everything that you've learned. So after the backlash, she apologized. But in her apology, she was still like, you know, she was trying to explain like, well, what are we legally able to do to stop the spread? And I just think it's very revealing that the first thing she thinks of as a doctor to stop the spread of an infection or a disease is just quarantine, just like lock people up. This administration loves to lock people up. Also a disease that is like treatable with medicine. Right. That like we are treating with medicine. Currently, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Our next beanie is Betsy DeVos. So her education department, which is like, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe the Betsy DeVos education department. It's just like picking away at everything good. So this week, the education department rescinded 72 policy documents that according to the Washington Post, outline the rights of students with disabilities. So apparently this doesn't actually, like, rescind the rights. It just takes away the documents. So it's, like, even less clear what rights students with disabilities have. So the Office of Special Education Rehabilitative Services wrote on Friday that a total of 72 guidance documents that have been rescinded due to being outdated, unnecessary, or ineffective— 63 from the Office of Special Education Programs, and 9 from the Rehabilitation Services Administration. It's funny the way that they say outdated, unnecessary, or ineffective. Like, obviously, (laughs) like, the Trump administration's approach to discrimination is, like, people still discriminate even though we have all these protections in place. Let's get rid of all the protections. Like, very noble. So next up— is a new weenie for us, Scott Lloyd of the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Scott Lloyd is a person I learned a lot about recently because the Office of Refugee Resettlement is currently in the middle of a major court battle with the ACLU because they are arguing against an undocumented girl getting an abortion. Basically, they're blocking her from getting an abortion in Texas. Um, And instead, they have taken her to a crisis pregnancy center, which are notorious for dissuading girls and women from obtaining abortions. So basically, in the lawsuit, the ACLU is arguing that the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is headed by Scott Lloyd, has very anti-abortion views. And Scott Lloyd, if you look into his history— is very strongly anti-choice. He believes that, quote, contraceptives are the cause of abortion. So, like, he's anti-abortion. He's also anti-contraceptives. That's what a lot of these people are. condoms lead to abortion, which, like, I don't— But he believes that condoms lead to abortion? Contraceptives— Lead to abortion? Are the cause of abortion, which I don't—like, I don't understand this logic. I think think that's a misunderstanding of what abortion (laughs) is. So it's like— I I wonder what the logic here is. It's like if there are more contraceptives, people will have more sex and more sex leads to more abortions. Is that? No, I think what it is is that he thinks that 
life begins at just the existence of an egg. And stopping an egg from being oh, fertilized yeah. is an abortion because that egg should be a baby. Which means, like, so we women get, like, one period a month for I don't know how many years. Let's just say 20 on the really low end. You get your period really late. You go through menopause really early. Okay, 20 times 12. So maybe you get 240 periods minimum in a lifetime of like just kind of typical ovulation. That's 240 abortions <laughs> that a, a standard woman will have in her life. That's And like I get like it a, if that's true. I'm on his side. So much murder in one woman's life. Women are mass woman, murderers by not being fertilized monthly. I mean I mean, well, that couldn't happen. <laughs> I'm just trying to do the math. But but the but the Department of Health and Human Services recently did announce in a new, its new strategic plan, a draft of its new strategic plan that that life begins at conception. So Scott Lloyd very much like agrees with this and according to the ACLU, Scott Lloyd has even encouraged an unaccompanied minor to not get an abortion. He's personally encouraged this. Um, and as a very strong anti-abortion stance that affects these young girls who are very vulnerable, they're undocumented, some of them are refugees who are seeking abortions, he is personally blocking them in certain cases. So Scott Lloyd, huge dick. <laughs> Good way to sum that up. <laughs> And then our last, we have four this week, just because we wanted to touch on the Bill O'Reilly news. So this weekend, the New York Times reported that six months after Fox News kicked out Roger Ailes because of sexual harassment, Bill O'Reilly made a $32 million sexual harassment settlement with network analyst Liz Wheel. Okay, so that was one of his biggest settlements. It's funny that we can say like, he has many settlements, so we can, like, compare and contrast them. 21st Century Fox was aware of this settlement, and they were aware of the complaints against him, and they still renewed his contract. So, I mean, this is kind of, like, typical. Everybody knows about these allegations often with serial harassers and assaulters for men, but they, like, companies have very little incentive to act until— public opinion, like, catches up with them. Okay, so on Monday, the two reporters who broke this story, Emily Steele and Michael Schmidt from the New York Times, sat down with The Daily and talked about how when they were interviewing Bill O'Reilly, he thought that, uh, like, the recorder was off, so they were off the record, but they were still recording on their phones. And here's what he said. It's, he just sounds like a really, like, upstanding, polite gentleman. This is horrible. It's horrible what I went through. Horrible what my family went through. This is crap. And you know it. It's politically and financially motivated. And we can prove it with, with shocking information. But I'm not going to sit there in a courtroom for, for a year and a half and let my kids get beaten up every single day of their lives by a tabloid press who would sit there. And you know it. Also, remember when Bill O'Reilly allegedly physically assaulted his wife in front of his kids? Um, how could we all forget? Yeah. I just, 
I just wanted to remind everyone of, <laughs> of that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, like, no confusion about whether or not Bill O'Reilly is a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I think he might be confused as to why people are saying so. He seems very upset. I mean, I don't know if that's confusion as much as it's, like, yeah. I would like to continue to be rich. Yes, you and know, a, and, and like an to asshole harass that goes women. unchecked. Like yeah. I would like I like harassing women. Please don't make me stop. <laughs> you know, I think it's more that. <laughs> unless like unless like no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's a correct assessment <laughs> of the situation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Our dick of the week this week is Vladimir Putin, and we're talking to Masha Aliokina from Pussy Riot about her new book, Riot Days, and protesting in a time of dissent and oppression. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So what advice do you have for Americans who are still new to an administration run by an egomaniac? To rise up. I think uh, it's a good time, and I think it's honestly just the beginning of a huge battle which the uh, United States now faced on. And uh, I wish you bravery because I know that it exists and uh, you can look to Russia as an example of what can happen with country where such a person is a president for 17 years. It's not only about uh, breaking freedoms like freedom of speech or freedom of demonstrations. It's about killing people for their political views. It's political murders. It's murdering political journalists. It's putting up to jail for Facebook posts or for reposts as well. So it's not a reality that you need, I think. So what do you think it is about music that lends itself so naturally to protest? And what drew you originally to music as a form of protest? From the very beginning, we were very inspired by Bikini Kill. Toby Whale, my good friend and a big inspiration for me. So a lot of inspiration we've got from United States culture. All 60s and 70s are yours. And uh, we didn't have this time of Woodstock, for example, in Russia at all. Our 60s were totally different. And rock and roll was banned. 
And I believe in power of music and in political arts as well. I think this voice that can be heard very easy by many people, and uh, if you have this voice, is a huge responsibility to make statements and to show what do you think about what is going on in your country. Can you tell us about the motivations and inspirations that led you to start Pussy Riot? I was born in in Moscow, in Russia, in the 90s. And I think it's important to know that Western music just became to our country like five, six years ago. Before, in Soviet Union, that was quite illegal to have it. So people were listening to uh, vinyls undergrounds and giving to each other like a friendship. In 90s, everything uh, became more open and uh, we start to, I think all of us, all the teenagers start to discover what is going on in music field as well. But we had only one magazine uh, for covering uh, new albums, which existed only one year, actually. And from from this one, I, I found Ye Ye Yes, for example, and I really loved them. <laughs> I was about 15 years old, and uh, there was no kind of official releases. There were two pirate markets in Moscow where everybody came and uh, were like searching for new CDs. So their reality was different from probably you were imagined. For us, uh, from the very beginning, there was not only musical inspiration, but uh, guerrilla groups, political artists. Like from New York, I I can mention the Yes Men. Maybe you know them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think they are great. I very admire uh, Guerrilla Girls. The Guerrilla Girls are a group of artists and art professionals who for the last 25 years have been protesting discrimination in the art world against women and artists of color. We also have expanded our work to deal with images of women and people of color and discrimination in the world of popular culture, politics, and also Hollywood. They made really important and great art. And uh, also a Czech group uh, called Stagovin. They're amazing. They took off the flag of Czech Republic uh, from the castle, which is like parliament building, and put a thread underwear. Three members disguised as chimney sweeps lowered the presidential flag on the roof of Prague Castle, replacing it with giant red underpants. In a statement online, Stohoven made clear the move was a jab at the current president, Miloš Zeman, who the group labeled a man, quote, not ashamed of anything. Everybody knows that Czech president is like one of the main supporters of Putin and he's a really sexist person, which is using words like Trump using and so on. He's kind of famous for that in Europe. But I think there are thousands of methods of uh, doing political art and hundreds which we do not know. I think it's important just to begin, to start, to try, and after that, uh, you'll find the result, I'm sure. Your book recounts 
from the moment of your protest in Red Square and then chronicles your imprisonment for two years afterwards. Um, Can you talk to us about the protest, the days after in which you were on the run. I mean, you described doing Skype interviews from bathrooms and you were staying in a different place almost every night. What was that like and why was it so important to be doing those interviews at that time? I think we should start from the first action on the Red Square, which is the heart of, um, I think, political center of Russia and Mm -hmm. Moscow. It's just near Kremlin walls. Can I read? Yeah, sure. We Pussy Riot uh, went out to the square because we dreamed of a different history. Because the one in which the president turned into the empire wasn't the one we desired. We were sick of lies and chasing disabled lies broadcast on TV, the endless groundness promises of happy life, a long and happy life. Right is always a, a thing of, be- of beauty. That is how I got interested. At school, I had this dream of becoming a graffiti artist, and I practiced graffiti on my school notepad. If you start your school work on the first page and do your sketches in the back, sooner or later the two will meet in the middle, and next to your history notes, graffiti appears, which turns history into a different story. This um, explains why we started actions in general, because Cathedral of Christ the Savior was not the first place. It's um, a symbol of Putin's power, a place which used for as a political platform for agitation, which was made by uh, head of Russian Orthodox Church, Patriarch Kirill, that time. When we were preparing Pan Prayer, the name of the song is Mother Mary Banish Putin. Uh, we didn't expect any criminal case because uh, it's not uh, a crime to do a song. And... After 40 seconds, like after the first chorus and first verse that we made there, uh, nobody even called the police. None of the security guards, candle tenders, other people, they just opened the doors of, of the church and let us out. That's it. But uh, after two days, they opened the criminal case. And uh, firstly, we decide that uh, we need, we, we want to be together and we want to, to speak. That's why we were making uh, interviews. But uh, it's very easy to find you via Skype with your home internet. That's why we were running from uh, one flat to another and uh, giving interviews from the bathrooms of different uh, cafes in Moscow. Were you surprised, I mean, first by the criminal charges and then by the interest from the media that was leading to all these interviews? After punk prayer, that was quite surprising, I think, for, for all of us that 
we are kind of under criminal case now. Nobody knows what to do, but we were uh, sure that we will not leave the country because there were people who, who were saying like very often that you should wait and after that everything will be okay. But it's not about uh, being okay. It's, I think, about uh, being honest uh, with yourself. So that's that's the next thing I wanted to talk to you about because for most of the book you talk about your prison sentence and what happened to you in prison. And one of the themes very early on you start talking about ways in which the guards try to take ownership of your body and your mind. Can you talk about the resolve you had and how you reminded yourself who you are? How did you learn to have a voice in a place like prison? Oh, very simple. I start to read the law. You started to read the law? Mm-hmm. The first thing which is happening with you when they put you to, to jail, even a temporary jail, it's a search. And it's a quite uh, strange procedure when uh, you, when firstly they put you to the cage after they say that you should put off all your clothes. And then they say that you should squat. And then they said that you should bend over. And just like imagine that that was totally surprising for not only me, I think, but each person who came to this cage. All these words are saying like an obvious statement, like a standard procedure. What What's wrong with that? Like, wh- why? You don't want to do it. And it's the first example, but it's uh, really became a main one. Because after they they put you to, to the cell and you have a lot of time to think uh, what happened and is it legal that it's happened and wh- what can you do with that? I'm just like a person, person like this. It's interesting to me to know how it should be by law and what they are doing in reality. But uh, this right uh, to say no to those who have authority became not on the first day. But it's very important to keep the snow with you because they put uh, they are putting pressure like every time. Uh, I was transported from uh, one prison to another through through long way to penal colony and after to the second penal colony and each administration was telling me say th- same things. And when you find inside yourself this possibility of saying no, you just do it. And from the first time, they became very hysterical. But when they understand that you really will not do it, they can't do anything with you. I mean, in men's prison, there is more more violence. So for each no, they usually start to beat people, but I know a number of uh, ex-prisoners, people who've been in prison, not only for political views, but for different uh, things, and they were keeping the snow with them as well. And uh, this is one of the ways to, to be yourself. For people who haven't yet read the book, describe a couple of the more important ways you said no. 
Firstly, uh, the squat thing and bend over thing, because I don't think that it um, seems to, to be nice for anybody to be naked uh, bending over for policemen. Also, I think it's very important to uh, think about any talk with investigator or people who are working for investigator. Because the main goal of uh, these people, if they are having deal with um, political prisoners, is to receive a paper uh, from me, for example, that um, I'm signing that I'm guilty. Uh, so I have a son. Uh, his name is Philip. Uh, the time what when I've been arrested, he was uh, five years old. And these people use uh, totally dirty methods to try to, to have this paper, such as uh, have a visit with you as a prisoner and tell you, me, uh, that uh, they, they've been in kindergarten and talked with the administration of kindergarten about how bad criminal I am and... Uh, if I will not uh, sign a paper that I'm a guilty on this crime, I will stay in in prison for, I don't know, five, seven years, and probably some specialists will possibly could take my son from me. So it's uh, totally lie and false, but uh, they are not, they are okay with these methods. It's really important in these situations because there are no kind of helpers. Uh, it's not possible like to call your friend and ask advice. Uh, just to stay yourself and uh, say no to these people. In this country, I think we think of revolution as a large mass movement. But you write, I think several times, about the idea of revolution starting from an individual or seeing within you, you talk about yourself being a revolution. Can you um, talk more about that, what it means to, as an individual, be a revolution? Each revolution really starts from heart. And for me, it's not about... Uh, mass movements uh, occupying any, I don't know, White House. Because if we will think in such a way, uh, we will wait and wait for some, let's say, leader who will take us and to, to some White House. It's about um, your own decision to not stay aside, to do, to speak out, to not afraid. Only these decisions actually are changing the world, I think. We didn't expect that our story will be told in different languages and that people from different countries will know it. We just did what we felt we, we should do. We felt it's necessary to do it. In Again, in your book, uh, you talk about several acts of civil disobedience and 
went on hunger strikes. You learned the law. You would protest against the law about the prison. There was one part in which you actually got the guards in trouble. You called out illegal activity. Tell us about that. That was a huge thing because uh, I was sent to the penal colony where uh, nobody was sent from Moscow. It's quite far. It's uh, 3,500 kilometers to the east, northeast. It's kind of a place where women from Moscow usually do not send because it's kind of middle of nowhere. It's hard climate there. It's minus 35 Celsius on the winter and very strong winds. And when I came there, I found that the uniform that they provide to women is quite strange because uh, they are giving uh, not shawls for the head, but very like thin pieces of material. In the Pinacolni, there are formations. Sure, yeah. And usually it's, uh, the whole procedure takes about like 40-50 minutes, twice a day. And it's kind of illegal to have your own clothes to be more more warm. So these things and other different uh, things which I just discovered, like legal slavery, which exists in our penal colonies when women are working for 12 hours, 14 hours per day, six days a week, and having like two, three dollars per month for that. I mean, I just wrote a text, a small text about uh, about all of that, and uh, they put me to solitary confinement and uh, tried to like to single cell, and so-called legally putting pressure on me, saying that I'm violating the regime and taking me each week to disciplinary commissions and all of that. So in the end of the story, I decide that. I will go to the court against them because at that time I was quite sure that it's them who is breaking the law. After two months of uh, preparation and the court, we won. And uh, as a result of this uh, court, uh, eight uh, prison guards were fired and the conditions, they start to uh, improve conditions like reconstruct barracks, putting salaries on, uh, etc. And that was uh, a huge experience for me of understanding that you can win against these authorities even if you are wearing a prison uniform. It seems like there's so much work to be done. Can you ever imagine a point um, where you could consider your work done? It's a process of um, our life. I don't think that we we can say that uh, it's finished because we are alive. And uh, what happens after the prison gates opened is another story. And uh, I hope I, I will tell it someday because after these two years, we came out to another country all these quasi-Nazi groups which attacked us and still attacking each oppositioner in Russia. Political murders, like a murder of Boris Nemtsov, and uh, a war with 
brother country, which is going on for three years and started just three months after we've been released. As we reported, Russian troops are making their way into Ukraine now. Uh, they number in the thousands. And even though Russia's foreign minister denying accusations that Russian troops had crossed the border. Maybe many things uh, were done, but I hope much more uh, waiting for us. <laughs> so I want to talk for now about more about the U.S. and the relationship between Putin and Trump, uh, the comparisons. In the 2016 election, uh, Pussy Riot warned us about Trump. You, you did uh, release that video. Let down the people in. Listen to your women. Stop killing black children. Make America great again. Knock the crap out of them, would you? You had been drawing comparisons between Putin and Trump. Can you t tell me what it was like to watch the rise of Donald Trump? I can't say that I'm surprised. Really? No. Because, Why? Uh, because I've seen the statistics. I th I've seen how many people didn't vote. Now it's a, it's a battle, and it's time to speak, to go to the streets and to make changes by different methods. In Russia, from the very beginning uh, of 2000s, there were also just words about independent media is kind of evil. After 10 years, they crushed almost all of them, just fired the main editors, put it loyal to administration of president, and that's it. It's very simple. It's not like a huge chess party. It's uh, usually happening very fast. You waking up at the morning, open the news, and find that your country started a war with a closest one. And that's it. You go to the streets, they arrest you. I mean, this is reality. This is not like uh, going on in the moon. It's uh, very close, and uh, I just don't know how to how to explain it. It's not just like uh, letters on on social media or in the internet. It's uh, like really happening. And uh, for example, last year we had a criminal case against a video blogger, a boy. His crime was that he went to the church and started to play Pokemon Go on his iPhone. The Yekaterinburg court ruled on May 11th that Russian blogger Ruslan Sokolovsky was guilty of inciting religious hatred for posting videos of himself playing Pokemon Go in a local church. The 22-year-old was given a three-and-a-half-year suspended sentence, meaning he will not have to go to prison. Sokolovsky was visibly relieved. During his trial, he told the court that he may be an idiot, but was by no means an extremist. Judge Yekaterina Shoponyak also took his apology into account when delivering her sentence. All of these um, cases, they uh, have big discussion on governmental media, and you not only sitting in jail, but you hear each day that you are an evil and against all moral standards your country had for last uh, several centuries. I think um, it can be an example, but uh, it's just an example. Decisions are made by you.
What advice do you have for activists in the U.S. who are trying to resist the Trump administration? To be brave, uh, to be honest, to understand the responsibility of your country, and to not forget about humor, because it really helps in difficult situations. When you have almost a half of the country not going to the not going to vote, it's no way to to have another result. Uh, but I've seen an amazing example such as Chicago, for example, who just did not uh, allow Trump to how you call it? They, they blocked, they protested his appearance there in the but, campaign. Yeah, so he didn't speak there. Right. Mr. Trump just arrived in Chicago and after meeting with law enforcement has determined that for the safety of all the tens of thousands of people that have gathered in and around the arena, tonight's rally will be postponed. This is an example of it's possible. It's not a, a myth. You just should do it. When I've been in Chicago I, and I have some friends there, I said that they are really cool. It's not just so big philosophy. You just start and do. Just try. We are all people. I mean, we're not robots. Only by our own experience, even this, if this experience is a mistake, we uh, learn the life, I think. Uh, Masha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. time for How to Handle the Dicks, where we talk about how we're handling the dicks and how I'm handling waking up at 4 a.m. every morning. <laughs> um, Prati, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I moved this week, finally. The saga has ended. Wow. Um, and now you have the—now we begin the saga of, like, doing all the things you need to do. Yeah, because I have no furniture. Yeah. So, for years, I escaped, like— owning furniture, which I was like, this is great because I can't afford furniture. But now, as a result, I have nothing. I don't have a bed. I don't have a couch. I don't have a TV. I don't have any bookshelves. <laughs> I have nothing. Um, so that's going to be fun. So but, like you can't unpack until you have stuff. Correct. So my living room is just filled with garbage bags full of clothes <laughs> and then literally nothing else. I have a mattress. I'm getting a bed delivered today, and then everything else will gradually come in. Um, But how am I handling the dicks? The one nice thing was throwing out all my crap. Like, did you Marie Kondo? I did. I mean, I don't have a ton of stuff. You hold things in your hands. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I know. I don't know what you're talking about. In Marie Kondo, you're supposed to hold things. You're supposed to like hold an object in your hands and say. Does this bring me joy? And see if you feel joy. I did not have time for that. <laughs> so. <okay>. But <laughs> I 
going through all the objects that I did throw out in my head, now I can say in retrospect, yes. They did throw, not bring you they joy. They did not bring me joy. <laughs> That's and good. I donated a bunch of clothes, uh, old bedding, and just also threw out a lot of old trash, like just like receipts and things like right. that that I had kept. Very and cleansing. It was cleansing. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Cool. I got a retinol prescription so that I will never age. And it feels really good to, like, put it on my face and be like, I am making it medically so that the Trump administration didn't happen to me. <laughs> I feel like this is the culmination of your skin I really, search. Ugh. Like, this is, like, Joanna's Rachi, it so is. Is over. It's because I was trying all of these expensive things and they were clogging my— I realized that, like, everything I was buying was clogging my <gasps> pores. It wasn't good for me. And isn't that just— So you went to a dermatologist and they So I went to my dermatologist you. and she was like, okay, stop using all of that stuff. Use oil-free, blah, 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 and then here's a retinol. Wow. I know. That sounds like it's a lot cheaper, too. <laughs> well, than... yeah. I mean, the retinol prescription is not, like, cheap, but it's definitely more streamlined. I feel like it's simple. It's yeah. less chemical. It's less trendy. You know, it's just, like, really proven. Yeah. Medicine. Medicine. <laughs> Science. I love it. It works. I mean, I've only been using it for a week, and I definitely don't look younger yet, but I plan on looking younger soon. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and thank you to our guest, Masha Alyokina. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio, and we featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show, and you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Tuesday. And <laughs> the acting choices of this line. <laughs> we'll see you next Tuesday. And who knows what the world will look like then? Oh, God. <laughs>